who don't know Mark, you know, he is, he's a dad. Obviously, he's a, he's a man. He's a, he's a husband. Uh, he's previously been a teacher. He's definitely a man of God. He's a, a digital guru, specialist. Um, and he's also involved in, in politics in um, our state parliament. And so today, um, just going to ask Mark to just share a little bit about how he came to be in politics, in that political environment, and also maybe to just uh, open up to us a little bit of what it's actually like behind the scenes in um, our state parliament. Awesome. Thank you, Leanne. It's great to be back and see everyone face to face. Usually I'm in my PJ, I mean, I'm behind the scenes, uh, just loading everything up. So, uh, yeah, awesome to be here. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've been a political advisor in state parliament uh, for almost five years now, um, which is a big change from being a teacher for a decade. Uh, yeah, and so the first thing that got to me got me into uh, politics. There was a campaign. Some of you may remember to um, reduce our abortion laws from up to partial birth, which it currently is, right down to 21 weeks, which is the viability of infants. Um, so I helped out a politician with her campaign on that. And at the end of that, uh, she offered me a job as her senior advisor running her entire office. So wasn't the right timing for us, um, but it was the right timing for God. So at that time, Lauren was just about to go back to work after having uh, Billy. And we sat down and we went, look, it's not the right timing for us, but it's obviously the right timing for God. And look, that first fight that got me into uh, politics so sort of set up the first two years of my political life. It was going from one fight to the next, um, consistently trying to defend Christian values, beliefs, Christian worldview in our political system. So there was things like, obviously, the abortion, euthanasia, uh, the marriage campaign, all of these things, uh, fighting for rights for uh, school, Christian schools to hire Christian staff. Uh, all of these fights, it just seemed like it was one fight, uh, from one fight to the next. And when my time ended with her at the last uh, state election, I sat back and, yeah, looked at a lot of lost battles and was quite disheartened. But then I, over the next few months, I started really looking into it and I realised that with every fight that we entered into, we were fighting for our values, but we were losing hearts along the way. And that was the theme that I saw the, the whole time, that we kept... The, the fight tended... Well, it seemed like the fight was more important than the hearts of those around us, and particularly the hearts of of politicians. Not long after that, another politician contacted me and asked me to uh, run his office as well. So it's, I've shared this a couple of times, so some of you may be aware. His name's uh, Jeff Foreman. He's with the Shooters, Fishers, Farmers Party uh, in state parliament. And um, yeah, he sat me down and said, look, I asked him straight out, I said, why, why me? Why do you want me to work for you, and he said, "Look, I've I've observed you. I've seen. I've observed how you operate, and I want that leading my team." I said, "Okay." So, a couple of weeks in, 
almost almost two months into working for him and uh, his most trusted political allies, there was three of them, all left him within the matter of a couple of weeks. All backstabbed him to try it for their own political gain and he was just... He turned around and he said, I'm, I'm just left with you. You're the only person I trust. And I actually looked at him and said, I'm not even two months in. You shouldn't be saying that yet. He goes, I don't know. I just, I just trust you. And that's been our entire working relationship. It's been around trust. And for those of you who may not be aware of a lot going on in politics, trust is the absolute rarest commodity. It's just not found and it's or if it is it's fleeting because it's it, it is really like how you see it in the tv shows and in the movies that everyone backstabbing each other for their own political gain using each other as as uh, stepping stools for advancing their own career and that's just not how i operate um keep flogging me out so uh Going in to working for him, so Jeff's, he'll be the first to tell you that he's not a religious person, doesn't believe in God. Um, and it was quite interesting starting up for him because a lot of people took me aside and said, look, you worked for a Christian person, maybe you should keep doing that. Um, but obviously God had placed me in, again, for that right time and right moment. Um, So, my whole thing working in this new job has been about the hearts, not about the fight. And probably about 12 months ago, Jeff, uh, there was a couple of um, political fights happening again um, around Christians and hiring uh, schools being able to hire Christian staff. Um, so that came up about 12 months ago with an MP introducing a bill to bring that on. Um, it ended up not coming to a vote, so it was uh, delayed for a time. It's coming back um, again. Uh, but during that time, he was getting hammered, and he was getting hammered, unfortunately, by Christians. And now, Jeff has always voted the right way on things, if you look back at his political career always voted with a Christian worldview, whether or not he understands that he's got one or not. Um, but his, his upbringing was heavily influenced by that anyway. Now, he would constantly get hammered by people that were automatically assuming that he would vote against it because he's never said or aligned himself with Christianity. Now, he'd get emails, phone calls, messages on his online socials constantly from Christians and it was usually threats of if you don't do this then this is going to happen to society, you'll be responsible, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I was getting quite worried about it for a time going, what are we showing this person? This is the ultimate person that we should be reaching out to, connecting with. And he turned to me and he said, look, because I said, look, that's not how it is. It's not. This is just a a, a broken few that are really being hurt by how things are going on and this is the only way they know how to respond. And he turned to me and said, don't worry, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I said, well, why not? He said, well, I look at you and Lauren and your family and that's my idea of what a Christian is. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, okay. 
think I'm think we're getting it. And ever since then, he'll it's probably weekly that he asks me questions uh, about God, Christianity, the Bible, uh, just slowly, time after time. And I guess that's something that I've had in the back of my mind constantly as well. Uh, another great story: I've got a neighbour uh, who's just moved into a house that he's built right next to us. And we were talking over the fence and he asked me about some stuff with politics and I told him what I do. And he said, yeah, yeah, look, I've just always voted, I vote Greens all my life and, yeah, really, in, it's really important to look after the environment. I said, oh, okay, that's, it. that's interesting. So we've talked a heap before, Carl, and you've, you've said that uh, you're a really strong Muslim, you've got, uh, you send your family to, a, uh, your kids to a Muslim school, your wife works at a Muslim school. How would you feel if they could no longer employ Muslims at the school? to teach and to work. Said, oh, that'd be horrendous. Like, that's why I send them there, because it's my faith, it's important. I want my kids to learn and grow in that. I said, well, that's a, a bill that the Greens have sponsored, is to take that away from you. He's like, I'm never voting Greens again. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. He's like, Mark, just... And we've talked heaps about politics ever since, asking heaps of questions. And it just, again, shows that, um, like, I could have been really defensive, or I could have even talked about my own faith and beliefs but it's actually just asking those questions going after what's important to them that instantly his uh, political affiliations changed it wasn't about necessarily the battle but it's about uh, connecting with what's important and valuable to them it's something that's i think has really helped i'm uh, in colson fellowship program at the moment and that's something that has been amazing uh with my political journey at the same time is having the understanding of people's worldviews and their view on life and being able to connect. It, the part that we've really loved about it is uh, the relationship and the journey that you're aiming to bring people along. And that's, uh, I guess, yeah, I've really found that come out a lot. So if you're interested in uh, learning a bit about that, I've been asked, well, what would you do to help people um, further engage with politics, I'd say that's probably the, one of the number one things, is get your, so get your head around the worldview of Christian worldview and the worldview of others, and the best way that I've seen to do that is through the Colson, Colson Fellows Program. Now, I might finish with a little bit of an insight into politics at the moment, because I've touched on a little bit of it, um, but Everything that you see that is controversial that is coming up or has come up, um, it's already a done deal before you hear about it. Okay? So the, th the things that have come up in the past, like abortion, euthanasia, the marriage debate, all of these things, before they entered the public sphere and the public debate, they were already secured. Because all of these, there's heaps of backroom deals that are done, and you'll see often they'll snowball one thing into another, into another, into another. So you'll hear one thing come up and then something else. For example, um, we're about to have the ability for Christian schools to hire Christians. That's about to be taken away. That's already done. It hasn't even entered Parliament yet. The bill hasn't been read in, but it's already been secured because now you'll also see that um, prostitution is about to be legalised in Victoria, all forms in all manners and way. That was one of the deals that was done with one of the crossbenchers. So once one thing opens up, they all tend to open up and snowball. So I guess the fight 
I guess my thing that I want you to walk away with today is that I really want to encourage you that it's not about engaging in the fight, it's about engaging in the hearts. And in any way you can, any way, shape or form, it can often just be changing one heart. So I've changed one heart with my neighbour, another one of Lauren's friends. I've had multiple conversations with them about politics and they've gone from someone who would have said they're a a far-left supporter to now they're like, it sounds like I'm just, I've got the same views as as you and who do I vote with that is along those views and I give them encouragements to to research people about their views and values but yeah the the main thing I want you to walk away with today is uh, finding ways to engage with the hearts of those around you and not into the battles because there's nothing worse than than entering into a fight and losing the hearts of those around you. So just before you do go so just for the everyday person just to reiterate that how can we influence politics? Okay it's a really good question um, and it's pretty disheartening when you hear me say it's already done. <laughs> but that's because it takes, it takes a lot of work to influence uh, politicians and it, like I said, it takes that trust. So I think back at my hi- political heroes are actually in the Bible, <laughs> so the Daniels and the Josephs and it took them, dec- it actually took them decades to influence and by having their behaviour and their character seen, tried and tested is what caused them to be an influence. So finding ways that you can have your character on show. So uh, there's three ways that uh, politicians' votes are influenced and it used to be a lot by lobby groups. It's a lot less by lobby groups now. It's the vote on election day and that gets influenced throughout a political term through focus groups. So it's very rare that you'll have a chance to get in on any of those until the voting booth, unless one of you gets selected for a focus group and your demographic would be excluded. Um, The other way is in uh, the party room, so which is securing their ability to become a politician, which is called pre-selections. So they get pre-selected by their party. And I say party because I'm... I really want to encourage you that to not treat politics like your favourite sporting club or football club. So treat politics as how can I be a great influence. So in this area right now where you live here, if anyone's in this seat, it's a Labor MP that's into it. So I'd really encourage people to think and if you want to get involved in a party, think about the party that would have the most influence in your area in that time. Remember that Labor Party used to be the Catholic Party. If you were Catholic, you voted Labor. It was very strongly aligned with that, but the influence has gone out from there. And I said three, didn't I? And uh, the third way would be uh, the advisors. So they're the only other people that they listen to. So people like me. And look, it's not easy. It's really hard um, in my role daily having seeing all of this go on and like I said if you if you watch things like the West Wing or all of these sort of shows it is like that it is crazy in there seeing what people will do to hold their vote and hold their job and you've seen it on display at the moment as well but yeah they're the three ways please thank Mark thanks for sharing now if you've got questions um, and you want to know more please um, just find him after the uh, after the service and, and have a chat with him um, so we've just seen, you know, how, how God has influenced 
uh, a man's life to be able to influence another man's life and greater and greater. And that's one of the reasons why we give to this house is for God to influence us to be able to influence our neighbours and our communities. So um, our team's just going to pass the, the buckets through. Uh, that's one of the ways that you can give to see um, uh, lives changed and, and transformed. Other ways is uh, you can do a bank transfer or even um, you know do something through um, your credit card online. There's different ways to do it. Just while that's happening, I'm just going to invite up uh, Caleb, our, our speaker. Uh, we've been going through a series called God's Word, and today is number six, and it's called Political Mandates, and hence the reason for Mark coming and, and sharing a little bit of political insight um, you know, that he has in his life. And, and this series has definitely um, touched me. In, I think it was in one of the first ones. Caleb actually shared that the Bible is actually God's story to us, and it's his story of love, of restoration, of um, you know relationship and, and eternal life, and that's really blessed me. and And I know that every time I actually read the Word of God, it brings great peace to my to my life, which then outflows to those around me. So let's welcome uh, Caleb up to share with us. Good morning, everyone. How are we? So great to see people. I usually sit in my jocks every Sunday and deliver the sermon <laughs> on my little webcam. No, I don't really. I'm just saying that to uh, surprise you. It's great to see you this morning, and uh, it's great to see everyone online as well. I just had a quick check. There's about 25 TVs tuning in online as well, and uh, we had a whole bunch of people, about 30 people this morning, pray uh, with us before the service and worship, um, most of those unable to come in at the moment. Uh, but I really appreciate, just really to acknowledge the... Uh, Great challenges in this time uh, for churches and for everyone, uh, but trying to pray, trying to worship, trying to gather together is really difficult, and uh, we appreciate as a church and as a leadership uh, the grace that everyone's showing as we're trying to work around everything at the moment. It's, it's pretty crazy, so wasn't that great from Mark just to hear him share this morning, and uh, we're very blessed uh, to have someone uh, like him who's in state parliament, and uh, it's really, really interesting and I'm going to talk a little bit about this this morning. We've been doing this series on God's Word. I want to talk a bit about how God's Word, the Bible, what God's saying, intersects with political mandates and government and all these kinds of things. So um, I've actually got a picture here, I think, of Mark's boss. There's uh, Rachel Carmen Jenkins, a great lady. She came here and preached uh, at our church a few years ago. And uh, Josh and Rosa, uh, two, two guys from our church there with her. Uh, we've been involved in a lot of different things over the years. There's Mark Niles with a whole bunch of our discipleship students from a couple of years ago. Mark Niles is the current uh, C CEO uh, and voice of the Australian Christian Lobby, and we've enjoyed a great relationship with them uh, over the years and have been involved in many, many different things. I went and saw Sonia Kilkenny, the local member for Labor, with the ACL guys a few years ago to talk about the euthanasia bill, and uh, they've always done a great job of helping connect pastors with local politicians to talk about the current issues and things that are going on. And there's me and Mark Niles, we had breakfast uh, not that long ago. It was actually around the Is Israel Folau um, issues that were going on a couple of years ago. And there's Zoe and I, we had the honour uh, at an ACL event of chaperoning uh, Israel as he shared uh, along the issues of uh, his challenges. If you're not into rugby union or rugby league or AFL, he's played all three codes. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, had a lot of issues um, with some of his Christian beliefs and losing his job for saying certain things and quoting scriptures and uh, 
grab any more photos here. I'll leave you on the flower one for a moment. The reason I've flashed those ones up, I thought I had one of the uh, guys on the front line of the uh, abortion. Let me go back because it's a really good... There it is. How does that get missed? So our discipleship students, um, for two years in a row before we hit COVID, were actually on the front line of the March for the Babies, which was against abortion in Victoria. Um, So that's all guys. There's Jordan. He was around here this morning. He's in the front line there. Um, And the reason I say all of this is just to say that as a church, we've tried to be engaged, um, you might say politically. I'd I'd like to say it's a lot more than politically because I don't want to just be a political church uh, or train Christians to how to do political stuff because there's a lot more to the world than politics, that's for sure. But at the right moments, it is important to have a voice and over the right uh, issues. And if, and if you listen to what I've been saying this morning or what Mark's been saying, it's not about a certain political policy that you want to get your hands dirty. It's about issues that come into contact with what we believe and especially issues that come into contact with concerns around life, death, people's freedom, family, belief, you know, core Christian issues. Some of you might be politically um, inclined and get involved in all kinds of things and that's that's fine but as a church we don't want to just muck around with politics or we don't want to follow what pastor caleb's into politically at the moment that's not what it's about but we want to be believers we want to be jesus followers and when that comes into contact with politics with education uh with culture with tv with movies with finances with whatever's going on in the world then that's where we want to be as a church talking about politics, preaching about politics. Now, some of you know me well, and this doesn't surprise you this morning that this is the topic. Others of you don't know me as well, and you might be sitting there going, why, Pastor Caleb, would you preach about something? Why would you touch this with a 10-foot pole this morning? Why on earth go near it? But I think you have to at times. I think you have to. And what I want to say, though, before I get into this, apart from please have a lot of grace for me this morning as you sit there with all your emotions about politics at the moment, all your emotions if you're sitting at home about the world, and maybe some of you went up to the, uh, the protests yesterday, there were thousands of people in the city and whatever. You know, show some grace for me this morning as I try and navigate a very sensitive topic. But also, this is, this is the key here, what I've got on this slide, is the church must be a home of peace for all people. That's what's important. So I'm going to touch on some political stuff. I'm going to touch on some scriptures. I'm going to, you know, I'm sure I'll get lots of emails this week saying, thank you for your opinion, Pastor Caleb. As I share scriptures and quotes from Jesus, I'll get pats on the back for my opinion. But that's, it's challenging for people, you know. I want to present to you this morning things that Jesus has said and things that the Bible has said. And hopefully my personal position on things is very difficult to work out because the church has got to be a home and a place of peace for all. Male, female, vote left, vote right, like this, don't like that. Despite our sin, despite our past mistakes, despite our political views, despite our abilities or disabilities, despite our socioeconomic status or even our theology, spiritual beliefs, angles, interpretation of scriptures, the church, this church, any church, the body of Christ, it must be a place where people can come and find peace and find Jesus. It's really, really important. You know, there was a politician flying from Brisbane to Cairns and he looked out the window and said, I'd love to make somebody happy. If I had $50, I'd throw it out the window right now and make somebody's day. The person sitting next to him in the plane said, what if you had 10 $5 notes? 
You could throw it out the window and make 10 people happy. Yet the politician sat there and considered this opinion, considered this advice. Someone across the road turned around and said, I know something that will make everyone happy. Why don't you throw yourself out the window? Isn't that how we feel about politicians and politics at the moment? I think that captures it well. It's just like, man, would you all just go jump off a cliff? It's just a real, it's just a real pain. You know, currently we're in a really difficult position as a state with politics and there's a lot of ingredients, emotions and people quoting scriptures online and some people are concerned about their children catching COVID and others don't even believe COVID exists. Everyone is beaten up by lockdowns and virus stuff and mask stuff and all the stuff that's been, that's been going on. It's a challenging time. Have you lost somebody over a political debate in the last year or two? Have you lost a friend? Has your family been divided? Did you have a workmate that you thought you had a great relationship with, but it's all fallen apart because, you know, they judged you for something or you said something they didn't like or maybe you reacted to something they said? You know, politics divides, but Jesus joins people together. commentating on culture and the cultural narrative and what's going on out there, it's always going to be a point of contention and a difficult conversation. But I love what Mark presented to us this morning. Go after the heart. Go after relationship. Go after those things. Don't fight. Don't, don't push. Don't shove. Really, it comes down to two things. You've got theology and you've got ideology. Ideology is your ideal view of the world, how you think things should happen, having an ideology. Often we understand ideology in these kind of words as, as, as an approach to politics, approach to philosophy, approach to living life, an ideal way, the way that people should act, the way that people should live together. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with a lot of that. But as Christians, what should be primary should be theology. We, our efforts and resources and energy should go into knowing who God is, knowing the nature of God, understanding what's important in God's priority list. And out of that, as a Christian, the idea is that what flows is a way of living based on who God is, where I, when ideology is a way of living based on how I think people should best live. And that's the great challenge that I want to present you to this morning, which is pretty much what Mark was saying. Go after heart, go after relationship, because God is for people. God is for binding up broken hearts, not bringing a military-type, militant division based on people's opinion. Does God, my question for you this morning, we're talking about God's Word in this series, does God's Word speak into politics? Does it speak into politics or does it speak beyond politics? Does it speak through politics? If you're watching online this morning, maybe chuck something in the comments or if you're watching online and listening to me here this morning, chuck something in the comments. Do you believe that God speaks into politics or does He speak through politics, beyond politics? This is what we want to touch on this morning. You know, interestingly, I can't remember what slides I've got this morning, so, okay, I'm just going to I'm a little bit out of practice, if anyone hasn't noticed. So I was a little bit nervous driving here this morning. I'm like, do I remember how to use the clicker? 
get to that bit in a minute. You know, interesting, Jesus was born into a very tense political, political and religious environment. It's, a, it's amazing at the moment, you know, you've got, you've got factory workers using words like Marxism and communism and ideology and all these fancy words. You've got, you know, stay at, beautiful stay-at-home mums who all of a sudden are trawling the depths of the internet to watch all this political stuff from America and, and, and people talking about things they've never been interested in before. It's an interesting time. This is nothing on the situation that Jesus was born into in, first century, in the first century. Jesus was born as a Jew, as an Israelite, into captivity. He was born a slave, essentially. The Roman Empire had been ruling Judea, the province of, uh, that Jesus was born into, for a couple of hundred years. And, who had, and before them, the Greeks had ruled Israel and God's people. Before them, the Persians had ruled God's people. Before them, the Babylonians had ruled God's people. It had been five, six, seven, eight hundred years since David and Solomon and Israel had had its own autonomous nation. People hated their Roman oppressors. I mean, the Romans was a brutal, brutal civilization. You put one foot out of alignment and a centurion could be plunging a sword through you. You get caught for breaking a law and you could be thrust into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. The Romans spent most of their time inventing the most grotesque ways that they could kill people. And that's how they came up with crucifixion. It was a society of men. It was a society of power. It was a society that uplifted those who were military leaders and commanders, those who killed others for a living. And the Jews, God's people, lived under this brutal, pagan Roman oppressors. Yet Jesus throws a couple of statements, political, maybe you could say, statements towards the Romans in his entire ministry. A couple of comments here and there. Even before Pilate, he says, he says to Pilate, you know, God, my Father in heaven, has given you your authority and he can take away your authority. But he still obeys the authority of Pilate. He still is sent to the cross by Pilate. Now, that's only the Roman oppressors and the political climate. The religious climate was almost just as bad. You had Judaism, which is this theocratic system of living. So they believe that God should be in charge, not a politician, not a prime minister, not even a king, but they believe that God should rule a country. And meshed together with their political ideals of God in charge was also their religion. So like we have a very separate way that we live here in Australia. We have our religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs and people can believe what they want. That's called religious freedom. And then, and then we have over here, it's very separate. We have the civil laws and ways of living and institutions and things like that. But Judaism was like Islam. It's all together. Political, financial, family, spiritual. It's all meshed in together into one kind of worldview. And guess what? Jesus was hated, not only by Rome and crucified by Rome, but he was hated by his own people, his own religion. This religion, Judaism, said that Gentiles were unclean. A Jew couldn't even be in the same room, let alone eat with a Gentile. It was very divisive. It was very nationalistic. Every other nation was unclean and the Jews were clean and pure and God's people. There was a lot of segregation. And they were waiting on a military hero 
a, a kind of David figure, a kind of poet, psalmist, you know, a sensitive, beautiful man with beautiful flowing hair like David, who was rugged and good looking, but who was also a warrior and a king who could slay Goliath and cut off his head. This was the Messiah that they were expecting. And Jesus came as weak and gentle and soft, talking about humility and laying down your life and sacrificing and washing feet and all of this kind of stuff. This is the political environment Jesus came into. Hated Roman oppressors, enslaved to another nation, God's own people, and Judaism, which was nationalistic, theocratic, very rigid kind of living. You know the thing that challenges me? I'm going to look at the camera a few of you online this morning. You know the thing that gets me? The thing that really challenges me as a modern day follower of Jesus is that Jesus went to the cross, killed at the hands of these Romans and these Jewish religious leaders. He went, the Bible says, as a lamb to the slaughter, like a little lamb, naive, ignorant, not fighting, not knowing that death is coming. Jesus went like that. He allowed the God of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God, allowed this dictatorship of Rome, this brutal Roman Empire, this rigid Jewish nationalistic religion, religious leaders. He allowed them, God allowed himself to be sent to the cross to be slaughtered. He lost the fight. He didn't get his way. His preferences weren't very important. He didn't even get to vote <laughs> about who was in charge. Yet he went. This challenges me deeply. This way of living challenges me to the core. This is not something I read and observe in the scriptures and think, yippee, this is awesome to be a Christian in Victoria right now when I read stuff like this about humility and sacrifice and lay down your life. Sorry, I haven't done a good job of apologies this morning. You guys need to help me back there. I'll get lost. One thing that we all know, or if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. If you haven't been a Christian for a while, or you're new to the faith, or you're here this morning looking at the faith, this is something that Jesus said about Rome. I'm just going to focus in here on one scripture. It's where Jesus says, or one verse of this, where Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Because they're asking, they're trying to trap him here, asking, does Jesus, does the Son of God pay his taxes? Does he do his civil duty? It's a very famous statement. Jesus says, just give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. Effectively, what God is saying, or Jesus is saying here, is that there is God things, and there is government things. Jesus draws a little bit of a line in the sand. There's God things and there's government things. Where does Jesus spend his energy in his life, in his ministry? He spends a lot of his time in the God things. Now, all of you who are feeling frustrated and all of you who are watching that are like, oh, Pastor Carl's not really saying what I want him to say this morning. I'm sorry. You know that it's so difficult to be a pastor right now. Everyone wants you to stand at the pulpit and use your position to say exactly what they're thinking, feeling, and their political views. I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. But I try to make it that I don't actually share much of my own opinion and I share the opinion as we see it in the Word of God. That's what I'm trying to bring us to 
this morning and I just want to let the chips fall where they may fall and let's try and look at a few scriptures this morning. He seems to spend most of his energy and time on the God thing. He came to declare the kingdom of God. It was like the polar opposite to anything that's on this earth. It had politics, education, lifestyle, fitness, diet, <laughs> finance. Why didn't Jesus spend all of his time showing us how to do a budget? Like that would have been really handy if the Son of God had said, this is how to handle money. It would have been like so helpful. Actually, the Bible has a lot to say about money, so maybe that's a poor example. But he spends a lot of his time talking about the kingdom of God, proclaiming the good news. Everyone say good news. Good news. Behind your mask. <laughs> the good news of the kingdom. It's good news. He doesn't say a lot about how this is going to overthrow Rome. He doesn't tell us that, look, in a couple of hundred years, in about 300 years, Christianity is going to grow so big that the Roman Empire is going to fall apart. Jesus knew that. God knows that. God could see the future, but we didn't hear any of that. But that's what happened, miraculously. Christianity has never grown as much as it grew in those first two, three centuries after Christ. When it was persecuted, when it was outlawed, when the cost of following Jesus could literally cost you your life, that's when Christianity grew. That's when Christianity expanded. That's when the good news of the gospel was proclaimed the best, the most, and in the way that was the most compelling that people came to join it. Interesting. The role of Christians and government. So what do we do when God's word comes in contact with the government's word? There's a couple of great scriptures. Romans 13 was a little bit too long, so I left that aside, but I put it there for you in brackets. So Paul says essentially the same thing as Peter. And we're going to read Peter's version this morning. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Jesus looked Pilate in the eyeballs and said, I'm going to submit myself to your authority and goes to the cross and die, dies for the sins of the earth. Full on, full on. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to condemn those who do right. Commend, sorry, not condemn. Commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. There's probably a great little verse there for some of the stuff going on at the moment. There's a lot of ignorant talk, a lot of foolishness, a lot of emotion, a lot of people are beat up, they're fatigued. It's okay. How do you deal with that? Get on with God's work. Get on with good deeds. As Again, Mark and I didn't compare notes this morning, but brilliant what Mark said. His boss is looking at him going, hey, you've got some character. Hey, you've got some peace in your life. You know, that stuff says a lot more than talk and chatter. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slave. So you're free, yet you're bound. Isn't this the kingdom of God? You're free in Jesus Christ, but you're bound to God and to the way of Jesus. And it's a discipline, discipleship type life that often has a lot of sacrifice, a lot of laying down your life, a lot of letting go, a lot of putting yourself second. Christianity at, at its core is loving God and loving other people. But, 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 but what about me? There's not a lot of you in there, but there's a lot of God and there's a lot of other people. It's kind of opposite the politics, isn't it? 
climb the political ladder, get your voice heard, lobby for your ideas, become the person in power, take the money, make the rules. Maybe there's an insight here for us this morning on how God is bigger than the kingdoms of this world, that the kingdom of God works differently. It has a different power. It has a different way of changing hearts. It has a different way of changing cities. It has a different way of reforming society. Show proper respect, verse 17, to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. And that was our church theme over the kind of the last couple of years. So there's three things that we see here I want to quickly touch on this morning. The first one is how government should govern. The role of government is to punish the wrong and commend the right. It's meant to push down, deal with the wrong, the immoral, the out of order, things that hurt others, things that create wars, things that create abusive systems. It's meant to deal with the wrong. And that's the purpose of civil government. It's the purpose of the state, if you like. And it's meant to commend right. It's meant to allow people who are good to prosper, those who want the good of others to flourish. And we all know this inherently, don't we? Businesses that serve people well tend to do well. Word of mouth is the best advertising that any small business can have. Why? Because when you look after people, they're going to tell their mates. And so those that do right, those that are good, should be commended. The word of mouth will run. They're good people. And the government's meant to lift up those people, lift up those figures, lift up those organizations, lift up those kind of laws that allow people to flourish, to do right, to, to do good. This scripture also tells us how Christians should relate to government. Now, I'm sorry if this is going to bother you a bit this morning. This is what the scripture says. It says that we should submit. It says that we should respect the government. And it says that we should honor the government. Ah, are you feeling that this morning? Pastor Kay, why do you have to do this stuff? Why can't you just preach about love and grace and sins being forgiven? This is what the Bible says. This can't be true. Right now, end of a pandemic, our lockdowns, end of, you know, Victoria, Daniel Andrews, it can't be, surely. You know, I was walking around my neighborhood um, last week before Halloween and people had put out their Halloween stuff and cobwebs on the trees and spiders and all that, all that jazz. And on one front lawn, there was this tiny little coffin, tiny little coffin on this one front lawn. And on the front of the coffin, it said Daniel Andrews. 1978 or whenever he was born, 1972 to 2021. Not the most respectful thing, but it was kind of funny. I did laugh, I have to admit. Not very Christian of me. How Christians should relate to government. Now, Peter's writing this, still under the influence of the Roman Empire, being oppressed by a proper dictatorship, a real dictatorship, our democratic Government here in Victoria is not a dictatorship. Daniel Andrews is not a tyrant, if you have any understanding of what those words actually mean. This is a proper one. And Peter's saying all these kind of nice things about submitting, respecting, and honoring. It seems odd. Thirdly, how Christians should act in a pagan society. Do good. Isn't this great? Do good. Be free in Christ. Respect all people. Jews, Gentiles. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what religion they are, doesn't matter what they look like, respect all people, love the church. This is how Christians should act in a pagan society. As we finish this morning, 
I want to encourage you with two things. And these encouragements are going to do a bit back to front. I'm going to talk to you about two wrong views about Christianity and government. They're both wrong, but they're both right. And I'll explain in a moment. My encouragement to you within this political environment that we live in, with any political environment, is to, do evangel- is, is to not do evangelism only. I've got to get the backwards right myself. To not do evangelism only. And don't do any politics. This, this is a wrong view. Do evangelism, forget politics. Essentially here we're saying, share the gospel, focus on the Christian stuff, spend a whole bunch of time praying, and anything to do with politics or culture or voting or whatever is not God's work. So let's not get involved. The problem with this point of view is that it takes the gospel and it makes it too narrow. It makes the good news of Jesus Christ way too narrow because if you understand anything about the gospel or if you've been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it actually affects everything. It's actually not just a churchy thing or a heart thing. It actually goes beyond the heart. It affects your thinking. It affects your beliefs. It affects culture. It affects family. It affects money. It affects politics. The gospel is expansive. It goes everywhere. The kingdom of God touches everything. So we can't just do evangelism, just preach the gospel and not get involved. The call to Christians isn't to hide in a cave do a whole bunch of prayer and wait for Jesus to return. Our society, our culture, our modern culture here in Australia, it needs the church. Amen. Two of you nodded your heads, but we'll get there, okay? It's first Sunday back. But it needs the government. Oh, man, I'm stepping on some toes this morning. Jesus said... Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God. There's some civil things, some government things, some state things, and there's some God stuff. Both the church and the state are required to restrain evil, restrain sin, deal with murderers. I think the church would do a horrible job at running the state. And when the church has been involved way too much politically running the state, they, they, they tend to send armies off on crusades to kill Muslims. And they tend to get involved and abuse power. And they tend to take a whole bunch of money off people. And they haven't done a good job at running societies. Why? Because they're playing outside of where God needs them to play. Be the church. Be about spiritual things. Train up people. Disciple people. Pray for people. Get involved at that level. Let the civil authorities do their bit. Let them restrain evil. Let them build up those who are good. So we can't just do evangelism and forget politics. We need both. Do politics without violating your Christian witness. That's the encouragement of the gospel. Secondly, a wrong thought, a wrong approach is to do politics only, not evangelism. Meaning, get Christians in power. Be a Christian nation. Let's make everyone a Christian. Everything a Christian. Let's have Christian parties Christian money, Christian socks and jocks. Let's have Christian cars. Let's make it all Christianize everything. That's the way to do it. It's not about humble and service and, you know, just pull back and and say, no, get your voice out there. Get into politics. Get into the halls of power. Fight. 
this is not the best way either. The government is not God's enemy. Daniel Andrews is not a major concern for God. The government is not the kingdom of darkness. It's just the government. It's, it's okay. And if the government bends so bad that it becomes immoral, then of course we will rise up, not only as the people of God, but we'll rise up with all people in order to keep the government accountable to good and to the good of the people. That's the job of the people. That's the job of Christian people. Do evangelism without succumbing to a political ideology. Don't go down a rabbit hole of some ideal that you have and allow it to violate your Christian witness. If you ever believe something so strongly that you have to push it in a way that's going to mean you're prideful, mean you're arrogant, mean you act out of anger, mean you misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you've succumbed to the ideology and your Christian witness is being violated. Jesus allowed the Romans to crucify him, the Jews to crucify him, without violating his great witness to the entire world that you can be saved. He went to the cross. None of us would have done that thinking this is the strategy to win. Let's go and die and sacrifice. But only Jesus, only God could know that that was going to win the victory. I want to encourage you this morning, we're going to pray, use your Christian influence wisely. Getting on Facebook, banging on about tyrants and this and that and all your ideologies, maybe that isn't the best way. Who's going to stand up and be a witness for Jesus Christ? It'll cost you. You might be like a lamb to the slaughter. It cost me a lot when I said a couple of things around the same-sex marriage plebiscite back in 2017. But I wasn't talking about, I don't care about LGBTI stuff. People can do what they do. They can dress how they want. They can have sex with whoever they want. That doesn't bother me. The reason I said something is because I believe that marriage is better for people and better for children and better for families. So I said something because it was about people and it was about family and it was about children. It wasn't that I have something against people who live a different lifestyle. People are going to live all kinds of different lifestyles. Why did I say something? And we say something about euthanasia. Why have we said things about uh, the discrimination stuff with Christian schools and Christian teachers maybe not being able to teach in Christian schools? Because it affects children, it affects family, it affects freedom, it, aff it can affect the gospel. We said something about the con conversion therapy laws that have come in last year. I sit on the board, an advisory board for Family Voice Victoria, which is a kind of lobby group that stands up for the family in Victoria. And part of the reason I do that, helping out Peter Stevens, is because he fights for great issues and he lobbies for great stuff, but it's within the Christian witness vein. It's not everything, it's not everything Peter Stevens thinks about, but he's leading Family Voice in Victoria and I help play an advisory role to encourage him to use his full-time energy that he's got to bring about things that are to do with life, to do with flourishing. If anyone's in politics to get Christian stuff done, then you're totally misunderstanding the heart of God. Politics is about all people, Christian or not. It's about the good of all people. It's about all people flourishing. And just like Jesus, I would encourage you that maybe your energy 
maybe your influence is used most widely in actually building healthy, authentic, deep relationships with your neighbors, with your workmates, with your family, and in a very quiet, a very non-Instagram influencer kind of way, just sharing the gospel with people. Just the everyday journey, caring for people, loving people, sharing the gospel, praying for people. I think that that Christian influence can often do more than being in the halls of power, being the famous sports star, being up the front. Often those things are going to do more. Why don't we stand up and just uh, pray this morning, just because a bit of background music is great. I just want to take a moment because uh, just as you want to close your eyes, you might want to open up your heart, open your hands this morning. I just want to take a moment. Because we're living in a time, a divisive time, a a divisive, it's a small epoch in the history of the world. Five million of us in Victoria here, it's very, very small. But it's also important. People are riled up, people are tired, people are burnt out, people are frustrated. I get it. There's some people not even here with us this morning because they're not allowed to be. It's really difficult. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But God is in control. Yet the Bible encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to cast our cares on Jesus. Lord God, we're here this morning not trying to fight. We're not, we're not a political movement, Lord God. We're the body of Christ. We're the people of God. And although this has been a difficult topic this morning, we open our hearts up to you, Lord God. We just want to pray for our leaders and all those in authority, Lord God. Help them to govern well, Lord God. To govern for the good of the people and not out of selfish ambition. Lord, we pray for the body of Christ, Lord God, that has taken a real beating the last couple of years. We haven't been able to meet for the first time in a hundred years. It's difficult for pastors, leaders, elders, Christians, small group leaders, everyone. It's difficult. It's hard to find volunteers to help run a church. It's hard to find people that are focused on Jesus at the moment. So many people are focused every which way. Lord, forgive us if we've got down the rabbit hole of ideology and it's violated our Christian witness. Forgive us, Lord God, if we've got lost in the last couple of years and maybe our prayer life has been lost, our relationship with you and others has been hijacked by emotion, by depression, by frustration. Forgive us, Lord God. We want to return today. We want to return to you, Jesus, and to focus in on you this morning. Lord, we pray for our little church here, Lord God, in Sky, our humble little gathering this morning, those that are watching with us this morning, those who will watch later during the week. Lord, join us together by the power of your Spirit that the church can truly be a place for all people, no matter who they are, where they're from, that this can be a place where we're centered around common goal and that's to continually fall in love with Jesus more and more and more to be transformed by the power of Jesus more and more and more we just commit this week to you Lord God we commit the future to you Lord God Lord we're not people of the past but we're people of the future Lord we look forward to the kingdom of God continuing to advance 
We look forward to the proclamation of the good news of the gospel continuing to be told to all people, Lord God. Help those, Lord God, that are struggling. Help those that are wounded, Lord God. Help those that are wrestling with their own walk with God. Help those that have even questioned their faith over this last couple of years. Question even being involved in a local church over this couple of years, Lord God. Lord, help us to see the truth as only the truth will set us free. Your truth, Lord God. Not my truth. (laughs) Not a political truth, Lord, but the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word. Bless you all this morning. Why don't you say, turn to someone and just say, Jesus loves you and give them a high five and just reconnect a little bit. And if you're going to, uh, if you need any prayer or anything like that, we would love to pray with you if you'd like to come out the front. We thank everyone for, for joining us, our digital viewers and everyone in person too. Have a cup of coffee, hang around and connect and we'll see you next week.